On this episode of The Cultured Podcast, we are launching into the future by going back to the past in our first ever Cultured Reboot. Nuff said. Welcome to The Cultured Podcast. I'm your host, Michelle Corey, and together we'll journey into the unknown reaches of the art world. Oh my God, my editors are going to kill me for yelling, but I'm just so happy. No, truly, this is such a special occasion for us. It is episode 60. And to celebrate 60 episodes of Cultured, we're doing something we have never done before. We are having our episode two guest on to check in with him and see where in the world Brian Cloudus is headed. So episode two guest also means that he was the first ever guest on the Cultured Podcast. Brian Cloudus is a dear friend of mine. He's also an artist who inspires me on the daily. He was kind enough to have me into his rehearsal space when they were rehearsing for Cabaret way back when. I mean, this was years ago, guys. And even back then, we were talking about, you know, site-specific theater and what that is and how he makes all of these theatrical productions come to life in the middle of a meadow, uh, at the bank of a river, in a barn or a stable. Brian was the founder of Serenby Playhouse. I highly encourage you to take a listen to episode two to get some background because we really dive into the future where Brian has announced something pretty big and he's changing his life in pretty big ways. He's also accomplished some incredible things since we last spoke. So Brian specifically, along with actually another guest that we're going to have on for a reboot, have inspired us to create these reboot episodes where we check in with past guests who have accomplished incredible things since we last spoke and whose careers have skyrocketed. And that actually leads into my inspiration this week, which is creative ambition. This reboot episode and future reboot episodes, which we'll have every once in a while, will explore this idea of creative ambition and what it means to follow your true passion as an artist and to push the boundaries of what feels comfortable or how, how much you believe in yourself. Because you really have to believe in yourself as a creative, as an artist, as a maker, performer, whatever it is, to push yourself to new heights. It takes a lot of comfort with rejection. It takes, for instance, in the case of Brian Cloudus, taking massive leaps of faith that test your entire perception of what you thought your life would be. Y'all, I have goosebumps right now. I'm not even kidding you. I'm so inspired by our guests. And, and I will say we have a knack at Cultured for bringing on, for picking and choosing talent that is up and coming that all of a sudden what we're seeing is one to two years later, they have completely blown up in different ways. And so, yeah, it's time to start bringing these guests back to figure out how did you bring creative ambition to a whole new level and what were the successes and failures? I think you guys are going to really enjoy this conversation and this idea of the reboot. Here we go. Let's get started with Brian. Brian. 
welcome back Thank to the you. Cultured Podcast. Thank you for having me back. Brian's back. Yes. <laughs> Hi, you Durin. Hi, Had to get that get that in. You got it. That's your signature. Yes. So you were episode two, and now you are back. And you know what we were just talking about before we got started officially was that like your life has changed completely. So what I want to know first and foremost, let's level set. Okay. So tell us who you are and what your art form is. My name is Brian Cloudus. My art form is experiential theater. I guess I've made a, a name for myself. I still use it in quotations uh, by producing in outdoor site-specific environments. And gosh, 12 years ago, I started Serenby Playhouse, which led to my journey today of really leading uh, Brian Cloudus experiences. So it's the same type of work, but I do it all over the country now. So what's really fun about doing a follow-up interview is that for all the foundational stuff, we can point people to episode two go, of Culture yeah, Podcast. Go, go to that, and it'll kind of give you the basis, right? <laughs> exactly, where we explore what site-specific theater is and all of that goodness. And we recorded that in the rehearsal space yep. while you were in rehearsal for, for Cabaret. That's right, Cabaret. Cabaret. It was that long ago. Oh, my God, because I was thinking it was Titanic, but it was no, Cabaret because like I was in ago. it. it was two years ago, yeah. Wow. Yeah, you were phenomenal. Do you know that was my favorite show I ever produced at Serenby? Your favorite ever? Ever. It was the one that I still think I would not have changed one thing. I completely agree with you. And let me tell you, of all your productions at Serenby, and I've seen very many, it was the one that at the end I almost uncontrollably sobbed. <laughs> like I had to like truly get myself yeah. together. And that's how in it you were in that production, like as an audience member. And that is what you do. You bring universes to life in person along these sites, and it takes a very special mix of skills. So what we get to do now as this follow-up episode is explore the journey that you've been on since we last spoke and the journey that spurred a huge move, as I can only imagine, for you to evolve to the next step. What has that journey looked like for you? Wow, that's a big question. So it has been a roller coaster. I will tell you, this year has had some of my most incredible lows and some of my most incredible highs. And I'm really, and I'm, I'll try to get emotional because it has been a really incredible journey to what I call like truly seeking my joy. Mm. And I feel like at this moment in my life, I can finally say every day I'm the happiest I've ever been. Oh my god! Um, and it and it truly, you know, I've Ooh. I've gone on a, a big journey over the past few years. You know, I made some major lifestyle changes. You know, I I quit drinking a few years ago, mm. so that was like one step of this journey. Congratulations! Um, thank you. I mean, I'm almost three years. You know, wow. and I don't love the term like sober because mm. it was. You know, I never ran over a small child. Or, I mean, not that the, you know. I mean, <laughs> you know. Wait. So if I've done that, I should stop drinking. If you have ran over a child <laughs> under the influence of anything, I would I would suggest giving that substance up. And if I ha wasn't under the influence? <laughs> then you might need to just stop driving, <laughs> to be honest. <laughs> but, you know, for me, I, 
I use that as sort of like a distraction, you know? So for me, it was like it kind of created more hours in the day. And, you know, mm. two years ago is when I started doing things outside of Serenby. And it all happened very organically. You know, I had one venue reach out in Massachusetts and say, hey, we've heard about this cool thing you do outside of Atlanta. Would you ever bring it here? And I was like, well, sure, if you pay me. I mean, that was always my my answer. So you hadn't already been tinkering with the idea of expanding outside of Serenby? It had always been like a little pipe dream of mine. I mean, at that point, it had been, what, seven-ish years, and it was the seven-year itch. And I was getting to the point to where I was kind of like itchy to have a little bit more of that gypsy life again. And um, I mean, Serenby's only a 1,000 acres. So at, at a certain point, I kind of I was like, well, gosh, where else am I going to go in this 1,000 acres? And right around that itchy time, I had this venue in Massachusetts randomly email me, and that led to the start of Brian Cloud's experiences. It truly did. It was my first production outside of Serenby. And I just found it so exhilarating to be in a new environment because my work is 100% inspired by the environment I'm around. Right. So it made me feel creative in a new way. And then over the past, you know, two or three years, I mean, everything that has come to me has been organic. It's come from people emailing me saying, hey, we've heard about this thing that you do. And it's like one gig has kind of led to another to where this past year I was in eight different states. My God. I mean, as somebody who's always keeping the pulse on you, Mm -hmm. and I mean, you have a lot of people here in Atlanta who just adore you and we're always going to be there to support and cheer you on. Right. It really was like wildfire this year, just seeing you everywhere. And your ability to multitask these productions is astonishing. So with that first production, a couple questions. Yes. Uh, First... Did you have to create Brian Cloudus experiences because all of a sudden you're outside of Serenby and you need a different legal entity? It was a little bit of both. You know, I've all, I love Serenby, but for me, I've always really clung to my own branding as well. I always saw Serenby as a location I created in, but I never thought that I wanted to be defined completely by a specific community. Mm -hmm. I was very grateful that Serenby gave me my initial launching pad and gave me a thousand acres to play in. They were very new in their development. I had never produced before, so it was just like a great pairing. But I always knew if I ever took anything outside of Serenby, I wanted it branded under my own name. And, you know, I mean, people, of course, like, oh, that's Brian. He also runs Serenby Playhouse in Atlanta. That's what I always wanted it to be defined by. And that's what everybody knew. And, you know, for me, the work was really the same. I would come to, you know, Atlanta and do my Serenby shows, and then I would fly to a venue and do something in a creek there, you know. Mm-hmm. But this past year, as you say, the wildfire year, I really made the realization that I was happiest when I was not in Serenby. Mm. And it's something that I had really known for probably two years. And not that anything went wrong at Serenby or it just started to feel like I had done everything I could do there. So creatively, I realized how exhilarating it was to go into a community that did not have access to art and create something world-class and professional and really challenge them. You know, I also love using local artists. So I go into these places and I'll cast local actors along with New York and Atlanta actors. And I just saw 
the potential of what I could create on a larger scale. And it really came down to impact. How many people could I impact? And seeing how it fueled communities and seeing how it fueled local artists, it just made me feel completely alive in a way that I hadn't in a few years. And this year is when I really realized that. And when I started talking to myself about, I knew in my soul it was time to to leave Serenby. It was really hard mm. to finally do it. And I will say it's the most terrifying thing I've ever done in my entire life. Really? I left a cushy salary. I left, I mean, it took me a while to get to that, but I left a salary. I left a full benefits package. But I knew in my heart that this was my new trajectory and it was going to have risk involved, but you can't put a price tag on joy. And I just realized I was more joyful when I was producing this on a large scale and tons of different places. Yes. And you know, it takes so much courage to look at those feelings in the face, embrace them, accept them, and take the leap. That process sometimes takes years <laughs> to do, yeah. but it's essential to your own growth and evolution as an artist. And bravo for doing that and having Thank that courage. You. Okay. So in episode two, yes. uh, we call you the master manifester. <laughs> oh, love that. <laughs> and, we still need my t-shirt. <laughs> uh, we really need to make that t-shirt. And I think this is another case of that because while it may have been a pipe dream. You've made a lot of pipe dreams a reality through your work, certainly at Serenby and obviously now across the United States. What I find really interesting is you talking about how it can bond community to have these performances take place in the actual landscape of the community. So talk to me a little bit about why you think a performance like this that takes place in the landscape of a region or a place has that effect on the community around it. I think it allows community to see the beauty in their backyard. You know, you probably see a lot of my social media. I say beauty is everywhere a lot. And I think that my gift is to see potential and locations that others would not. So when I go into an environment, I immediately see a production and I see it vividly, a really strong vision. And a lot of times these communities will be like, are you crazy? And I was like, yeah. I see the potential of creating theater where it's never really meant to be, you know? And I see communities go from being skeptical about it to seeing the possibility of like, oh my God, this guy might do something. Oh God, he's bringing a whole team in here. Oh my God, they're really going to create magic. It almost has that like circus vibe. Circus comes into town and creates an incredible experience. And, you know, for me, I like involving the community directly, putting local actors in productions, using local technicians when we can, because they get to be involved in the process. So they see the behind the scenes as well. But I think it it, it bonds people because we go in and do it fast and furious, and it doesn't seem like it's possible, but I push people to their limits. And hopefully, you know, nine times out of 10, they it's one of the best experiences they've had today, and they want to come back and work for us again. So, I mean, and I really think that's what art is meant to do. I think it's meant to bond communities, and I think it's meant to, you know, kind of blow your expectations of what is possible. Absolutely. So what I'm curious about is, of course, having worked in Serenby right. and Atlanta for such a long time, you have this presence here where 
there is no skepticism. When right. Brian Cloudus and Sarah B. Playhouse are putting on a production, you just know you buy the tickets. Right. Like, that's all. <laughs> the skepticism is, when can I make it? Like, what's the soonest? Okay. But I'm curious, like, especially at the beginning, which I guess you said was two years ago. Yep. At the beginning of you starting to go into new communities, you just mentioned skepticism. Uh-huh. And what ha- what was that process like of entering a new community and having to face that skepticism? Did you feel like you had to sort of prove yourself? Absolutely. I mean, you know, I think people know me here, right? I go into a lot of these communities and people, they're like, oh, we heard he he landed a helicopter or, oh, we heard he sunk a ship. That's typically the two things I'll hear. But like just for <clears throat> cultured crew, literally. Literally. Yeah, we did it. <laughs> um, but I mean, I, I go in and um, typically these are venues who have zero experience with theater. So on top of learning how a theater operates, they're trying to figure out how I'm going to make it work on the side of a mountain. <laughs> and I just, you know, I would say at the, the early part of this whole journey, I'm out of had a little bit of fear. And now I just go in and I say, I'm an expert at this and you need to hire me and trust me. And I'm 100% in control. And if you don't want to work with me, it's not a fit. I just tell them that. But people like someone who just comes in and I'm say, listen, I will produce the best show possible here. I don't know your audience, but I will after one show. And my goal is to get to know them and for this to be a pilot for a long project. Mm. Mm. So Sleepy Hollow this year was in Starbridge, Massachusetts, my first client ever, in Cherokee, North Carolina, in Chillicothe, Ohio, in Terrytown, New York, and then, of course, here in Serenby. Um, I also had a Wren's Nest um, Poe experience here in Atlanta. I did a show in a waterfall in Alabama, the Nakalula Experience. I did a Mamma Mia in Ohio. And then um, most recently, I did The Sound of Music in Virginia at Wintergreen Resort. I think that's that's in one year. Bless. That's in one year? One year. While doing—and I directed three shows at Serenby this past year. Right. And I will tell you, this year pressed me to my limits of it's too much, you know— I mean, that's that, I, I that doesn't make, sound like a lazy man's job. Yeah, <laughs> you know, I had to make a decision um, because the work that I was doing nationally, it never stressed me out. Really? Never stressed me out. The work Why is, is that, do you think? I think that it goes back to that adrenaline of the new yeah. and the the experience of potential. Um, Serenby had gotten to a point to where we were 10 years old. Without getting in there too much, Serenby is different than when I went there, you know, 12 years ago. And I started to see a little bit of resistance. Um, Just as any community grows, you know, the community got larger, there were more people. It became a little bit of a bother to some people in that community because you, you literally would have plays going on in your backyard. And I think, I think, a lot of people in Serum be like, oh my God, you can do a play in my backyard anytime. But a lot of people wanted a very peaceful community. And so as our footprint grew, we had to deal with the police department a lot more. Um, you know, we had people complaining about noise, you know, and that stuff we never dealt with in our first year. So it's like as the community grew, it just started to feel like I could make a larger impact elsewhere. Mm-hmm. How's that sound? It sounds so put together. Okay, good. Good but I mean, it, no, but it's know, true. It, yeah. it is very true. And I pray to God, I left a foundation 
in Serenby for 10 years, that will allow it to flourish forever. Because I think the scariest thing as a founder is to think that the organization is dependent on just me. You yes. know, I do think the playoffs is going to change a lot. Yeah. I've already seen it start to change with branding um, and other things. But I, I don't want to cling on to it. I, I let it go. I, I transferred over power. I said, here, you know, I'm here as a consultant. I will help if you need be, but I'm not going to be here micromanaging. I'm here blowing up things on my on my end, you know? So you're done. You're totally now disconnected. Disconnect. I mean, I, I'm still on the board, so sure. I will remain on the board in perpetuity, which is great. Um, and then I'm in the emeritus artistic director position. Serenby was a launching pad for me. It was an incredible 10 years. It allowed me to um, figure out my voice as a director and a producer. And it gave me a national persona that allows me to take this everywhere. Exactly. And I'll be forever grateful. Exactly. So I'm curious Mm -hmm. about how one goes about directing so many different productions Mm -hmm. in so many different states all at once. So Sleepy Hollow, for instance, was the most astonishing thing I've seen you do to date in terms of, like, directing, how many was it, five? Five. Five different casts Mm -hmm. in five different cities. Correct. Were they all the same type of production? So the structure is the same. It's always five leading actors. It's the same script, the same music, but the environments are completely different. And that changes so much. It changes so much. But I will tell you, I'm the way you do it is you're very strategic, you're very organized, and you have an incredible team around you. Yes. You know, even though it's the company is my name, you can't do it alone. And you have to have incredible people around you that you trust and that you can delegate to. It's the only way to scale, and it's the only way to be a good leader. You can't do it all. It's just impossible. Or if you just want to be like, hey, I just want to do this amount of shows, but I want to do a bunch. You know what I mean? (laughs) So like, you've got to scale it. But I am strategic about how many new projects I take on at a time. So this year, we only added two new Sleepy Hollows. The other three Sleepy Hollows, they had kind of stabilized. And I didn't even see Ohio or Sturbridge. Mm -hmm. Like, they just existed without me. I flew in and saw Ohio for fun one night on Halloween, and Sturbridge, I saw a dress rehearsal of. So I was able to put my energy into the New York production and then the Cherokee production. And we scheduled them to where the New York production opened two weeks earlier. I opened that, then I flew to North Carolina, and I did the North Carolina production. As somebody who is currently in the midst of scaling my own business, this is so impressive to me. Well, for me, it's exhilarating. And for me, it's like, how many shows can I fit in and still be like really grounded and sane and enjoy it? You know, because there becomes that tipping point of like, am I just working to work or am I like enjoying each new process, you know? So this is such a good point because we actually had this conversation in our own team the other day about knowing where you get your energy. Uh So like for our team, some people, when they're sitting in front of a computer and editing a piece of audio, they do not get exhausted by that. After eight hours, they're like, you know, there were all these challenges and it was really crazy, but, you know, I got it. I did it. And they feel energized by that. Whereas if I sit in front of a computer and edit audio for eight hours, I'm exhausted. It is mentally draining. It's not what you're supposed to do. It's not what I'm supposed to do. Now, 
running from meeting to meeting and call to call is exhausting to some people. But for me, Do you thrive? It's, I thrive yep. because I'm getting shit done. Yep. I feel productive. Checking off your checking, list. And it's like strategic conversations, brain-heavy conversations. So the bottom line is, like, you have to know yourself. You have Completely. to be self-aware. Completely. And you have to be in tune with your core to know what brings you joy. Yep. Segway. Yep. <laughs> And really, you know, and I think I think also embracing joy is figuring out the things that you hate doing. Mm-hmm. Like you were saying, like things that really stress me out are accounting and legal things. Mm. I can sit and negotiate and do sales all day long. I, I am the deal closer. <laughs> you get me in a room and I'm walking out with a signed contract. I don't doubt that. Yeah, but I don't want to like go into the technicalities, but that's why I have a lawyer. That's why I have an accounting firm. I would rather invest a little bit more money into those things that really stress me out because then it opens me up for more hours to be in a rehearsal room. I could sit in a rehearsal room 24 hours a day mm-hmm. because I just feel like I lose sense of space and time because it's what I'm supposed to do. Yes. Yes. Okay. So this conversation about joy is very, very important Yes. Um, for everybody, but particularly for creatives because we, I'm going to lump us all together. Yes. Why not? Because I think creatives, we function our best when we are in alignment with our purpose and our passion. Yes. Tell us about this aha moment that led you to explore a life of joy. So it was in Ohio. I was producing Mamma Mia. Who would have known that would be my show that made me like wake up. And it was the first time I had done a really huge scale musical in a really small town like Chillicothe, Ohio. But I came in 100 miles an hour And I just did it. And it was at the same time I was directing Ragtime in Serenby. So I was literally flying back every week. They would be doing choreography this week, and I would flip-flop and go back and forth. And uh, both pieces were incredible. But every time I went into the Ragtime rehearsal room, I kind of felt this, this pressure, on me. I couldn't figure out what it meant. And then every time I went into the Mamma Mia rehearsal room, I just felt free. Wow. And I had this moment where I realized that I was having a bigger impact on these artists and this community in Chillicothe, Ohio, and they were more joyful and it was physically making me more full. Mm. Uh, literally an aha moment. And I uh, and I I was feel I was feeling such like weight of trying to be everywhere and be be at Serenby and be in this random town in Ohio, which I've just fallen in love with. And I, I got up and I just felt so like out of sorts. And I, you know, I'm really big into hiking and you know being in nature. And I went and sat on this park bench in this park in Chillicothe, Ohio. And I just listened and I said, it's time for a major change in my life. And this experience with Mama Mia of all shows, and I couldn't understand why it had such an impact on me, but now that I've kind of unpacked it all, Mama Mia is a show about a single woman who loves her child more than anything. I am from a single mother who basically sacrificed everything for me and Brienne. So it just, it, it all of these things started point to like, I was supposed to be here doing this, 
And the one thing that kept playing over in my head was this. I have a dream, a song to sing. And 428, it's the day that I decided to make a huge change in my life. And I I didn't know what it meant. And I called my sister and I told her and I was like, I'm going to leave Serenby. And I'm going to do this thing I'm doing in Ohio all over the country. And I don't know if I'll make as much money. I don't know if I'll get as much national press. But I don't give a shit. Because what I feel from this cast of local actors and this community of audience members in Chillicothe, Ohio, is the most joyful I've felt in a long time. And I made the decision. And then I put the steps in place. And that was eight months ago. And here we are. Oh, my God. That was eight months ago? Yep. And it was that quick in your mind. It's something I've thought about for probably two and a half years of, you know, is Sarah and me forever? Mm-hmm. You know, what is next for me? And it had gotten more narrow, my sort of like thinking. And in that moment, the universe, oh God, I'm one of those people saying the universe, but it's really true. I say that like, all the time. The universe made things very clear to me. And I knew I could either be not as happy or I could be happier. And I chose happier. What were the scariest aspects of the practical side of that decision? Letting people down. I knew that a lot of people would be extremely disappointed. The scariest thing to do was to email my, uh, you know, board of directors and tell them, Hey, y'all. And they're dear friends of mine, you know? And it's funny, after I made that decision, me and my sister went to Panama City Beach for a weekend, and we literally just sat on the beach, and I wrote this email. And I said everything I wanted to in the email, and I was very gracious. But I said, there's nothing to do to keep me to stay. And I firmly believe that I am going to suffer if I stay here, and I think the organization is going to suffer as well it's time for a new 10 years. It's just that easy. And there's there's no talking me out of it. What was their response? Sad. Yeah. I mean, really sad, you know. And that sort of broke my heart. There was never any anger. It was just really they were very sad, you yeah. know, because I think part of them thought that I would be there forever. Forever, yeah. You know? Of course. This is like the inside look of these big, scary decisions is that there's a lot of sacrifice and courage involved with that. You had just finished building out your dream home or what you thought was your dream home. I thought it was. You thought it was. And I've done that, too, in my life. I thought I had a certain dream until I had it. And it didn't fill me like I thought it it would. It didn't feel the same you thought it would. No. It's one of those instances of the dream is more exciting than the actual thing. And for me, I thought having a huge historic home, I mean, I spent a year remodeling that thing. And I loved the process. I mean, you know, I loved the process. I loved antiquing. I loved doing my Goodwill runs. I loved picking out paint swatches, all of that. And I, you know, it was a good year of my life. I mean, I sort of dated that house for, right. <laughs> for a year. You know, I mean, don't get the black lots out. <laughs> I'm just so sorry. Um, But when the house was, I'll never forget, the house was finally done. And I was on the Noonan tour of homes. And it was just, I mean, it was decorated perfectly. It was like out of a Lifetime movie. It really was. The pool, everything. Just everything. And I sat there in that house, really said to myself, I'm not one ounce happier having this house. Wow. Now that it's done, 
What was that like realizing? I wanted to vomit. I mean, you know, I literally wanted to, like, go vomit in the toilet, as my mother would say. Maybe want to barf. Just because I'd spent so much time and money on that thing. But for me, I had to do it. And this is something that me and my sister have realized about me. I am Mm experience-based, and not only in my work, but in the way I live. I'm selling my house. It will be sold and signed the end of February, and I don't have a house. And you know how that makes me feel? Amazing. Free. I feel free. No mortgage. I will live in cute little Airbnbs. And like these past four months, I've had so much fun finding a cute little Airbnb and making my home for a month. Mm -hmm. And guess what? If I was there for a year, I might get itchy, but I'm there for a month and I make a little home for myself. I have a big impact on this community. And then I go somewhere else. And it this might get old in a year or two, but for right now, I wake up just exhilarated about it. And I'm ready to get the house sold and all that stuff because it's just a thing, mm-hmm. you know? Mm-hmm. Okay, you're master manifester, mm-hmm. right? So what are you manifesting like that master over the next couple of years? This sounds really cheesy, but I just want to keep this feeling of joy. And I want to be sure I'm always listening to myself. And I will tell you the things that are currently bringing me joy are doing theater everywhere, being in new environments, and really taking care of myself, putting parameters on what I'm willing to do and not willing to do, and being very decisive about listening to my gut. Mm. And if I wake up one day, I was like, you know what? I'm not enjoying this anymore. I'm really going to be honest with myself because I feel like in the past couple of years, I haven't been as in tune to those things. I've always been pretty in tune with my art. You know what I mean? I listen and I'm able to always create, but like, I want to really listen to myself. And if I'm unhappy, I want to change that because guess what? You're in control of your happiness. I think it's really hard to hear People don't make you happy. You make yourself happy. People can enhance your life. But I truly am figuring out how to love me. Mm. Period. One of my friends and mentors always says the most important relationship you have is the one you have with yourself. I know who that is. Who is that? Dion von Furstenberg. (laughs) I just watched her master class, y'all. I thought it was Diane, but she says Dion. Dion. Dion von Furstenberg. Well, yeah. it's so true, though. Yes, it's so true. And she always says, once you have that, every other relationship is a plus and not a must. I, it is so true. I could just, like, spout Dion sayings all day. I love her. I mean, I think she's brilliant. She's brilliant. But it's it's so true. And I think you and she and even myself are such models for how to live an independent, self-loving, self-respecting life. But it takes a journey. Two years ago, I could not have sat here and said this. 100% same. Yeah. Same. And I might have sat here and like been like, oh, I love myself. And, you know, but and like. And lied. <laughs> and lied. I mean, truly like lied. Yeah. But like, I love going out yeah. by myself. Yes. Like I literally, I would prefer to eat dinner alone than I would with others. I mean, because I just truly enjoy being alone. And it took me a while to really say that. Yeah. And it's made me a better artist and a better human. Mm -hmm. Are there any dream locations and or cities? I think when we talk about manifesting things, I'm really excited to get to the West Coast. Mm. I have a couple of things brewing um, in Sonoma um, and in San Jose, and then also have a project brewing in Canada. And, you know, when I say— International! I know, literally, BCE Global. (laughs) That's my new hashtag. Um, But I'm really, you know, something—and these masterclass I talk about, they've really changed my life. You know, I also love Sarah Blakely, the founder of Spanx. And she always just said, 
concentrate on the thing right in front of you and make it as perfect as you can. So I really try to stay in the moment and I keep all of these things brewing. For, we're booking into 2021 now, but I'm like, okay, 2020, the show right in front of me is going to be the best one yes. ever, you know? Yes. But yeah, I'm excited to do West Coast. I'm excited for Canada. And I mean, who knows what is next? But I mean, I'm just answering emails. It's like every day I wake up, like, who's emailed me today? Wow. I mean, literally, I have nothing has come from me doing like a cold call or email. Mm. It's all from people hearing about it. Alignment, and, but alignment, I will fly alignment. anywhere. Mm. Like literally at the drop of a hat, if someone called right now and was like, we've got a big old gig in LA, I'd be like, well, let me put some foundation on and I'll be up there in a second. <laughs> okay, well, this honestly is such a prideful moment for Cultured because here you are back on Cultured having this conversation we're proud just on behalf of you and just congratulations on living your dreams and living your joy and just maintaining that true North compass that takes courage. And we just love you so much, Brian. I love y'all so much. Thank you for having me. No problem. Thank you for being here. And for those who want to stalk you like I do. Please stalk me. Where can they do so? So you can check out my website, which is just briancloudus.com. Brian with an I. And I'm also on Facebook and Instagram. It's just my full name. Amazing. And that's C-L-O-W-D-U-S. And we're going to have that on culturedpodcast.com along with the full transcript for this episode and tasty links. Thank you for being here. Thank you so much. Good Lord. Did you enjoy that reboot as much as I did? I sure hope so, because we are definitely going to keep these coming every so often, especially with guests as ambitious and fast-moving as Brian. Like, wowee, okay? Anywho, until our next journey into the unknown, keep it classy, keep it curious, keep it cultured! Visit culturedpodcast.com for show notes and subscription links. The Cultured Podcast is a production of my podcast production company, Frequency Media. I'm the host, Michelle Corey. Ina Garkusha is our fabulous producer. Becca Godwin is our wonderful associate producer. Our sound engineers are Cooper Skinner and Dante Hodge. And we're recording at Listen Up Audio in Atlanta, Georgia. 